It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Spring ball begins today for the BYU football program. The Big 12 is apparently talking to the Four Corner schools, and BYU basketball has advanced to face St. Mary's tonight. we got a lot to cover. You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? I'm Jake Hatch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. Thank you for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Always appreciate you guys making it a part of your repertoire, and thank you for taking the time to download and or watch the show. Uh, Lots to cover on today's show, but a quick reminder, we're proud to be part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where, of course, the motto is your team every day, and as such, this is your only daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars. All right, starting off today, BYU football takes to the practice field today, most likely inside the indoor practice facility in Provo, as they kick off BYU Spring Camp. Now, Spring Camp is going to be spread across essentially six weeks here as BYU gets things going. One of the weeks, though, the first week of April, they will only be doing conditioning work. There will be no actual team-wide practices. They will also have their spring game in the middle of camp on March 31st, a Friday afternoon, uh, for you to get out to the Lavelle Edwards Stadium and watch the Cougars play. Uh, Fingers crossed in the next weeks ahead that Maybe some of that snow will die down a little bit and we'll actually have maybe some decent weather for that. But nonetheless, a big opportunity to see BYU take part in that. Also the alumni game then. But the bigger thing is, as we finish off our look ahead to BYU Spring Ball on today's show, we'll actually have a full report for you guys on tomorrow's show after I am out there at practice later this afternoon and evening is that the biggest question I have going into spring ball here is how different is BYU's defense going to look? Now, we as a media core who are privileged enough to see any part of practice see about 20 minutes. That's what we're going to be allowed to see. And I am looking forward to seeing how BYU aligns on defense. I expect, as most defenses are these days, for BYU to be a multiple front defense. What I mean by that is they can play with a four-man front with uh, four guys in their hand in the dirt. They can play a four-man front with three guys with their hand in the dirt and a guy standing up in a two-point stance. They can play a three-man front we, the biggest point I'm trying to make is I expect that Jay Hill will be able to morph this defense to fit whatever he feels like his best game plan is now that may say sound eerily like what BYU was doing under Elisa Tuiaki and Ed Lamb's leadership and it should sound a little familiar because that's how uh, most defenses are going to operate the only difference I feel like that Jay Hill in particular will bring to BYU's defense is a more cohesive structure and identity for this defense no more are you going to have whole sell changes on defense. No more are you going to have guys asked to do one thing one week and the very next week asked to do something almost completely opposite of that. They are going to play their brand of defense. They're going to try and impose their will on opposing teams. They will also sell out to stop the run. No more of this, as Jay Hill says, death by a thousand paper cuts on defense. Gone are the days of BYU's defense seeming to be so structured that they're just going to pound their heads against the wall trying to do the same thing they've tried to do. Meanwhile, the opposing team is gashing them for big yardage, regardless if it's through the air or on the ground. Jay Hill will endeavor to make wholesale changes mid-game if he has to to make sure that his defense can hold up as best they can. 
the big question I have is will he have the personnel that he is capable of running what he sees his defense being at BYU here in year one. I would say he'll have pieces, but I don't think he'll have all of the pieces at, on this defensive side of the football. I think the defensive line, they will find a rotation that should be able to hold up at least at minimum against their opponents this season. There's so many bodies in the defensive front that hopefully Sione Puja, uh, uh, also, um, who am I thinking of, Kelly Papinga, Jan Jorgensen, and Jay Hill can find a nice core of guys along that defensive front to run with their what to run what they want up front on defense. The question I have is the linebacking core. Now you have Max Tool, you also have Ben Bywater. Both of them are very, very good football players. But beyond that, what does BYU have at linebacker? I, I've got major questions about that linebacking core, and it seems to have kind of just fallen off a little bit in the last couple of years. And suddenly they're looking maybe at a very thin unit. Maybe they'll prove me wrong. Some of these young guys on that unit, guys like Logan Peely, etc., maybe they'll prove me wrong and they'll show up in spring ball and announce themselves as qualify quality backups at minimum, if not starting caliber players, but I also have my doubts that BYU has the requisite depth in their linebacker ranks. They also lost guys in the offseason, some of them to the pro ranks, some of them to transfer, or in the case of a guy like Josh Wilson, who announced that he's just stepping away. He's uh, got his degree and decided, I'm moving on with my life. On the back end of BYU's defense, I think the safeties will be okay. I think Malik Moore coming back and having a healthy senior season this year be very good for BYU. I think he'll lead that safety unit. The corners, I still have questions about just in terms of overall depth. I think there are talented pieces there. Eddie Heckard, the transfer from Weber State, is a very, very good football player. I think they hold hold down one side at cornerback. The question will be, does he have anybody behind him or opposite of him at cornerback that they can run their man press coverage that Jay Hill is going to favor for this BYU defense? The good news is, is throughout the spring camp, BYU will be able to make evaluations, get their hands on guys, and then they will go into the spring uh, transfer portal period, and they'll be trying to find some guys. Aaron Roderick said, said on my radio station on Friday that they have held some uh, scholarships in reserve. He said that one to two wide receivers could be the target for BYU offensively. I'd imagine that the defense for BYU's probably got two or three scholarships in the transfer portal bag, I guess you could call it, that they'll be able to utilize on players that they feel like they need to fill up gaps with. I think they could obviously be looking for a starting caliber linebacker potentially, as well as another corner, but they will have a big opportunity over the next month or so to evaluate where things truly stand in their minds and then make the proper adjustments, at least hopefully on paper, that'll give them a fighting chance going into the Big 12 this fall. Like I said, I don't expect it to be a perfect product. I don't expect it to be a finished product coming out of spring ball, nor do I think they will think that, but I also think that BYU can get a lot of good work done here in this next month plus of spring ball, and Jay Hill has got his work cut out for him. We all saw it. We all saw how bad BYU's defense was. They were beaten down in so many instances It last year and even beyond that, it back into 2021 and even in some circumstances as far back as 2020, that you need to get some... You need to get... It's, you need to get them some confidence. You just need to give them an opportunity to go out and prove themselves. And I think this defense was begging, if not pleading, for just a cohesive identity on defense that just never was a hallmark of what Elisa Tuiaki and Ed Lamb were running at BYU. I can guarantee you one thing, knowing what I know of Jay Hill, that identity will be there. What BYU is going to run is going to look very similar to what he ran at Weaver State, what was run at Utah, what is run at Utah, and it will obviously be a shuffled 
to fit what their opponents are throwing at them this coming fall. But this spring ball period, it's all about getting the baseline of this defense installed. What are the defensive linemen's responsibilities? What are the linebackers expected to do in this in certain circumstances? Defensive backs, okay, can you hold up in man-press coverage? Are the safeties smart enough to bark out the coverages? Are they, are they able to communicate effectively on the back end? That is what you need to see in this spring ball. So, going to be a lot of work for the defense. The offense has plenty of work as well. We talked a lot about the offensive questions for BYU, but I figure with the defense, it's a wholesale change here. So it's one massive question mark amongst this defense. What is it going to look like? How will it operate? And will it be able to hold up to give BYU a fighting chance in year one in the Big 12? We're all about to find out and together and learn about it. I cannot wait once again to be out at BYU Spring Ball once again later this evening. I'll be bundled up, but we'll have plenty of coverage for you guys. We've upgraded some of our, we've upgraded some of our equipment. Should be able to bring you better a quality video of interviews and the like. So stay tuned for all of that right here on your daily podcast, the Locked On Cougars podcast. All right, coming up next, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the Big 12 and the Pac-12's ongoing saga. Uh, Pac-12 apparently looking at four expansion targets while the Big 12 is targeting four expansion targets of their own, according to reports that came out over the weekend. We'll dig into all of that in mere moments. First, a word on our friends over at Built Bar. I have been a big fan of Built Bar since they started advertising with us, and for the first time I ever had one, I have been a huge fan of eating these things. If you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories of other uh, candy bars, etc., you got to try a Built Bar. They're absolutely incredible, and all of us are trying to eat a little healthier, I feel like, these days. And if you're trying to do that, Built Bar are the way to go. The best part is they're covered in 100% real chocolate. It's a great start right there. That's right, real chocolate. And then the best part is their macros are absolutely insane. 130 calories to 150 calories, 4 to 5 grams of sugar, but more importantly, a whopping 17 or 18 grams of protein, depending on which bar you choose. They've got puff uh, marshmallow versions, which have uh, protein-infused marshmallow in them. They're absolutely awesome, my friends. I would encourage you to give them a shot. And if you're looking to order them, you can still go online and place your orders, but if you need them right now, stop by your local Smith's and or Sam's Club today to pick them up. they got four bar packs available at Smith's now and a 13-bar pack available at Sam's Club if you're looking to shop in bulk. But like I said, you also can order them online and customize what you're looking for at Built.com. While you're there, use the promo code LOCKEDON15 for 15% off your order. But if you need the Built Bars right now in your life, stop by Smith's or Sam's Club today to get started with Built Bar. They are the best tasting protein bars in the world. And that is our friends at Built Bar. The NCAA tournament is almost here. And listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. It is March. It is March Madness, my friends. Conference tournaments ongoing. We're going to talk about BYU and their run to the West Coast Conference semifinals here in just a moment. But I want to encourage you guys, if you want to get caught up on everything going on in college hoops, check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Everything you know about college hoops in one place. You'll hear from big-name experts, insiders, coaches, and players alike. It's Locked On College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so let's talk about what's going on in the latest with the Pac-12. Now, uh, Friday it came out that the Four Corner Schools, as they're calling them, I still hate that name, the Four Corner Schools, because it's not truly the Four Corners, but uh, three of the states are represented, but Colorado, Utah, as well as the Arizona Schools have reportedly been in contact with the Big 12, at least renewed contact with the Big 12. Does that mean that there's a change coming 
right away? No, that does not mean that at all. Uh, we have a report out of Wildcat Authority, the 24-7 site uh, down there in Arizona and Tucson covering the Wildcats. Jason Shear saying that the Big 12 in Arizona are expected to meet tomorrow to talk further about what's going on. But uh, almost in the aftermath, almost immediate aftermath of this, of course, John Canzano, the Pac-12 apologist that he is, popped on with his little newsletter and said, I have learned that there are four expansion candidates for the Pac-12. Well, okay, great. The expansion candidates, two of them we already know, SMU and San Diego State. Those two have been well-known for months now. But then he entered an interesting name into the conversation. That's Colorado State. Now, the Rams, obviously a longtime Mountain West and WAC member that BYU is very familiar with. That would be an interesting pickup. They have done a lot to upgrade their facilities, but Colorado State is not on the caliber of, I think, what the Pac-12 is looking for. But nonetheless, beggars can't be choosers right now. And that's what the Pac-12 is scrambling for. Now, you said, I also mentioned there's four teams. Well, John Canzano said that he doesn't know who the fourth team is. Could that be uh, UNLV? He said no. Could it be Fresno State? No. Okay, who are you talking about then? Air Force? Uh, honestly, you're running really, really low on options. Hawaii? I, I don't know. But I think the Pac-12 is just scrambling to grasp its straws right now. They have had all kinds of bad press about what's going on with their media rights negotiations. They've been embarrassed in the national media. And part of it's their own doing. They obviously allowed the Big 12 and Brett Yormark to hone in and kind of butt them out of the way and say, hey, we'll take that media rights still from ESPN and Fox. And now suddenly the Pac-12 scrambling to pick up scraps in a media market, by the way, that's also being rocked by layoffs from multiple media entities out there. I know that the Disney thing fire, uh, firing or laying off 7,000 people does not necessarily affect ESPN directly, but they've already said, uh, Bob Iger as well as Jimmy Pitaro, the uh, ESPN president, they're going to be very judicious on what they do about media rights moving forward. They're going to go all in on the NBA rights, but are they going to go all in on the Pac-12? Well, if they were going to go all in, the Pac-12 would already have a media rights still. There are still uh, ongoing uh, talks about them being 75% of their games on streaming networks, whether that's Amazon or Apple TV, whatever it might be. The Pac-12 is in a really, really rough spot. And I have no reason to think that is why these Big 12, the Big 12 is being expansion-minded and why there's been renewed contact between the four corner schools. But let me reiterate one thing. I had a conversation with somebody over the weekend about this, and they said that nothing is imminent because the, the biggest thing, the biggest domino that still needs to fall is that the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors need to get their firm and final offer or offers from George Klyovkov in front of them. Once they have those numbers, they'll be able to crunch them and they'll be able to make the decision of what they're going to do moving forward. Do I think it ultimately means that the Pac-12 is going to fall apart? No, I don't think it necessarily means that, but it very well could if the numbers come back and these schools feel like they're better served to look elsewhere. There's obviously persisting rumors potentially about the ACC. I don't see that happening unless ESPN is willing to all of a sudden pay the ACC and the Pac-12 multiple millions of dollars more to join forces. I don't think ESPN's interested in doing that. They locked the ACC into a contract, and why in the world would you reopen those negotiations if you don't have to? Now, if ACC schools start to kind of pull away in mass and try and sue their way out of the ACC, well, that's a different conversation. But right now, the simple fact of the matter is the Pac-12 is scrambling to get things done. But the biggest dominoes, let me me reiterate this, talking with people who are far more in the know about this, you can say Jake's sources out there, whatever you want to term it, the, the, there is uh, 
conversations between the four corner schools, the Colorado, Utah, Arizona State, Arizona group, between them and the Big 12. But I think it's more about, okay, if this goes down, what would it take for you guys to potentially make the jump over to us? Do I think that there are one or two of those schools who are more prone to potentially jump than others? Yeah, I do. I think that Arizona, the, 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 they have been the longest rumored uh, malcontent with what's going on in the Pac-12, and their basketball program would be an absolute home run to add to an already great basketball conference in the Big 12. I think Arizona is maybe the most likely of any Pac-12 school to make the jump. That is, not, I guess, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that they're going to jump, but they're the most likely to me. I also think Colorado and their history with the Big 8 and also the Big 12 would also lead them, if they'd feel like, you know what, things aren't working out on this front with regards to the Pac-12, a return to their quote-unquote ancestral homeland of the Big 12 wouldn't be out of the question. But I don't see it necessarily going down right away. It's going to take some time, but the presidents and chancellors of these Pac-12 universities have said almost to a person, they want to see the final numbers and they want to have hopefully a, a, done, a, a done deal by the end of this month. It is dragging on and on and on. We're now entering almost uh, is it month nine right now, It'll be month 10 here pretty quick, of these ongoing media rights negotiations. George Klyovkov has really got to deliver something here, hopefully in the relatively near future, or you're going to persistently continue to hear about these Pac-12 schools having wandering eyes. Why wouldn't they? They'd be dumb. It'd be, it'd be in their worst interest, I guess I should say, for them not to consider all options at this juncture. You have to have contingency plans in place. Does that mean that you uh, immediately exercise those the second you finally get the, uh, the final offer from the Pac-12? No. You're going to obviously look at that number, talk with your compatriots if you're one of the university presidents or chancellors in the Pac-12, and make a determination of what's moving forward. Colin Cowherd's out here saying that Oregon and Washington would take a half share to get to the Big Ten. Heck, any of those schools in the Pac-12 would take a half share to make it to the Big Ten right now. But does that mean it's coming right away? No, because the Big Ten doesn't have a, a conference commissioner. They have to figure that out first. So there are dominoes that still need to fall before other things can happen. But there are, I, I, I'll tell you, I had a conversation, like I said, with a person over the weekend who's far more than no. And there are actual conversations going on between the Big 12 and these four corner schools. But let me also reiterate one more time. That does not mean anything is imminent. And the sad part is the longer this drags on, the stories are going to continue to pile up and we'll continue to break it down right here on the podcast because it's just one of those things that continues to kind of string us along here. We wait and see. Uh, we did that podcast on Friday talking about what's going on uh, with the Pac-12 and Big 12, and excuse me, uh, yeah, Pac-12 and Big 12 with uh, JT Wistersill. We uh, actually uh, exchanged texts over the weekend about some of this, and it's like it's just kind of more of the same, really. That's what it is. But the, the more this goes on, the roars and the echoes and the rumors and all that different stuff that's going to come out, they're only going to get louder and louder for all of these uh, parties involved. And that's going to be a tough deal for guys like George Klyovkov to keep a lid on because these schools, they're getting antsy. It, it, it's readily apparent. You can have your apologists out there say that nobody wants to leave the Big 12. Well, great. Nobody wants to leave the Big 12 because they're locked in right now and they got a good thing going for them and BYU's in that group. Meanwhile, the Pac-12, well, they're just kind of a rudderless ship right now and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do and only time will tell if they if George Klyovkov can get that rudder reattached and figure out where they're going and steer them in the right direction. But the longer this goes on, you're going to hear more and more and more about 
interest from who knows where. But we'll talk more about it as those reports come in every single week. It seems like every Friday we're getting more and more about this, but we'll have more for you guys on that front. Two more things we need to cover on today's show include BYU uh, players standing out at the NFL Combine, Blake Freeland putting on a show as we expected, and also BYU basketball in action tonight, trying to make it to the West Coast Conference Finals. Can they spring an upset over St. Mary's? We'll talk about all of that in just a moment. First, a word on our friends over at Perry Homes. Whether you're looking for your first home, you're ready to upgrade to your dream home, my friends. Perry Homes has a house for you. For 50 years, Perry Homes has been Utah's premier home builder with communities throughout the state. They have many communities, home designs, and price points to help meet your needs. Perry Homes has beautiful communities in Davis, Salt Lake, Tooele, and Utah counties, as well as multiple communities in Washington County near St. George if you want to get down to the southern part of the state. They also offer 50 unique home designs from Ramblers to two stories to townhomes to fit your needs. They even have quick move-in homes available right now if you want to make the move right away. They offer generous financing incentives through their preferred lender as well to get you guys in the door. So visit PerryHomesUtah.com to see what's new in Utah's finest neighborhoods. That's PerryHomesUtah.com to get started there and learn more now. For 50 years, Utah has been coming home to Perry Homes. NCAA tournament is almost here, and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Always appreciate you guys checking out the show and being a part of it. Uh, you guys are absolutely awesome. A lot of good interaction with you guys over the weekend. A lot of great comments from Big 12 fans, uh, Pac-12 fans, Utah, BYU fans over the weekend. All of it. Uh, always welcome. I cannot thank you guys enough for your support of this podcast as always. Now, a couple of notes before we go on today's show. Uh, first, with the NFL Combine, Blake Freeland, as I predicted on our Friday edition of the podcast, if you heard it, I told you guys, Blake Freeland was going to put on a show at the NFL Combine. That's exactly what he did. Way, I measured in at six foot seven and seven eighths inches, uh, eighth of an inch being away from six eight. Uh, weighed in at 302 pounds, ran a 40 uh, yard dash at 4.98 seconds, a 10 yard split, the best among offensive linemen at the NFL Combine at 1.68 seconds. His vertical jump set an NFL Combine record going back to at least 2003 of 37 inches. And oh, by the way, his broad jump was 10 feet, the best among offensive linemen. There were multiple tight ends, running backs, etc. did not jump higher or longer than what Blake Freeland did. This kid put on a show. Is he a finished product? Absolutely not. He's only played offensive line for four years, as many of you will recall. He never played it in high school. He came to BYU, was developed as an offensive tackle, and it still feels like his best football is in front of him. He's only 22 years old. He's played four years of offensive tackle and NFL teams had to look at that performance and say, okay, these are all kinds of tools that we can work with. And a number of you responded when I was tweeting out, but some, when's he ever going to have to jump 37 inches as an offensive line? When's he have to jump 10 feet? When's he have to run 40? Hey, folks, what the NFL combine is there for is to measure the athleticism of these guys. Blake Freeland is a physical freak, and I mean that in the kindest way possible. NFL teams drool 
over what guys like him can do. They are going to bring him in, they're going to develop him, and he is going to make good, hopefully, on the bet on himself. This is a kid who I am super excited to see in an NFL uniform. Because like I said, I see his NFL future being just absolutely limitless if he can capitalize on the tools he's been blessed with in the genetic lottery. Now, also, Jaron Hall showed out. Six feet, 207 pounds. I had uh, some up and down moments throwing the football, but I still felt like overall Jaron Hall did not hurt himself in this game. Uh, Talk with somebody about this. They still think he's probably an early part of the day three conversation, round four or five on the third day of the NFL draft. It's not a bad spot to be in for him. He's a little older player, but uh, he showed pretty well. Uh, Puka Nakua, though, I did think helped himself quite a bit. Puka Nakua uh, checked in at the NFL Combine at six feet two, 201 pounds. I uh, had nine and a half inch hands. Really, really did a good job in the gauntlet drill, which is a drill where you actually catch passes from both sides while running just straight across uh, the field. Did a really, really good job in that. Really showed his hands and his ability to adjust to the football in the various drills as a wide receiver. So I think overall it was a pretty good weekend for all three B. BYU Cougars at the NFL Combine, but Blake Freeland, man, did he put on a show. Congratulations to Blake. I cannot wait to see where he is taking the NFL draft. Uh, talking with, I uh, said, the same person who's uh, more in the know about this. They felt like if he had a good showing at the Combine, which he absolutely did, he could push himself into the round two conversation. That'd be really, really good to see him being taken in round two, but even if it's round three for a guy like Blake Freeland, finding the right opportunity for himself and finding a place where he can contribute uh, is going to be imperative for his development, but the good news is he did nothing uh, to disappoint on the weekend. And in fact, he thrilled. Uh, if you watched any of the combine coverage, uh, he was absolutely being gushed over just in terms of the overall tools he showed. Charles Davis was saying, "Wow, this guy can absolutely uh, show out," and he really did. So, really, really good stuff from Blake Freeland, and congratulations to him on that showing. Also tonight, you're going to see BYU basketball in action. They have made the run to the West Coast Conference semifinals. Now, uh, they obviously. Fr- Friday, uh, me, Friday night, they struggled. After the first 20 minutes, they're down 13 points in that game against Portland. You're like, okay, the final 20 minutes of the season might be upcoming. Well, BYU came out and absolutely locked down on defense, found a shooting touch. Jackson Robinson became uh, just Mr. Everything for BYU, it felt like offensively, but he wasn't alone. It's nice to see guys like Rudy Williams step up in their big moments there. Friday, they rallied to win that game. And then Saturday, tip to finish, they led the, all, the entire way against uh, LMU. Very, very impressive showing for BYU on Saturday night. So that gets them to tonight when they will face off against number one seed St. Mary's in the West Coast Conference semifinals. BYU is two games away from punching their ticket in improbable fashion to the NCAA tournament. Can they get the job done? Well, they have played maybe some of their, uh, do I say the best basketball? They've played better basketball than coming into the tournament in the last 90 minutes, excuse me, 60 minutes of basketball. They have been very, very good in the back half of that uh, win over Portland and then obviously the full 40 minutes against uh, LMU. They were lights out. Tonight is a different animal. St. Mary's is ranked number 17 in the country. They are 7.5 point favorites depending on where you look at and they're going to make life very tough for BYU in this game. But this is a team, speaking of St. Mary's, that is not unbeatable. BYU came narrowly uh, came very close to beating St. Mary's uh, earlier on in the regular season. They did the same thing against Gonzaga. You'd probably be if you get past St. Mary's tonight, you're punching your ticket to a championship game ostensibly 
against Gonzaga tomorrow night with a chance to punch your ticket to the NCAA tournament. Do I think they can do it? Yes, if they play the type of basketball they played on Saturday night and ratchet it up just even a little bit more, they have the opportunity to go out there and beat St. Mary's. The problem is, even with a day off, they've already played two games back-to-back. This is going to be the third game in four days. They're going to have some tired legs here. You need to have Rudy Williams step up like he has been the last three or four games. you got to have Jackson Williams, Jackson Robinson, not Jackson Williams, Jackson Robinson step up. These need to be the guys that lead the way. And honestly, Mark Pope needs to tighten the rotation even more. He needs to play like five or six guys. Noah Waterman, he's not offering anything right now. Trey Stewart, he's not offering much outside of defense right now for BYU. Tighten the rotation and make it so you guys have a fighting chance. You've got to give your best players the opportunity to go out and win this game for you. Richie Saunders was absolutely phenomenal just being a scrappy player in both wins on Friday and Saturday. He needs to play 30-plus minutes tonight. You've got to ride your horses tonight. The rotations, they go out the window tonight. You ride the hot hand if you're Mark Pope. And if he doesn't, he may very well pay the price and cost his team an opportunity to get themselves to a championship game in an improbable fashion. This is when it matters most, folks. The season, at this point, it comes down to tonight. If they win tonight, BYU probably gets a chance to play in the NIT. If they don't win tonight, that's a big question mark for BYU in terms of their postseason aspirations. You win tonight, you make your chance to make your NCAA tournament tomorrow night. You'll obviously be playing a fourth game in five days, be very, very tired legs at that point. But nonetheless, this is what you've built up for the entire season Now let's see what you can do, speaking of Mark Pope and the BYU men's basketball program. I'll be watching tonight, like I said, after I get done with BYU football. I'll have a full report of BYU Spring Ball Day 1, as well as a look at what happened to BYU basketball on tomorrow's edition of the podcast. So do not miss it. Cannot wait to share it with you guys. And, of course, uh, join us every single day right here on your only daily podcast, the Locked on Cougars podcast. So until tomorrow, thanks again for making us your first listen of the day. Now go make your second listen to our friends over the Locked on Big 12 podcast. That'll do it for us. Have a great rest of your day. This has been the Locked on Cougars podcast. See ya. The NCAA tournament is almost here, and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.